Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 140 for the 26th of March, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski here with Paul Ducklin. Hello, Chester. Last week you'd been at B-Sides in Vancouver. This week you've been down in the Lone Star State, I believe. Yes, uh, in the state capital, in fact. I was at B-Sides Austin. Had a great time there. It's one of the oldest B-Sides out there. It was organized just after the original ones. And uh, it was really a good time, as usual. I, mean, I can't really encourage people enough to participate in these types of conferences when they're in their communities. Uh, not everybody has a B-Sides, but if you have one, uh, get out there. And if you don't have one, consider starting one, eh? Exactly. And if you know, maybe you can volunteer as well. Uh, you know, Usually there's some perks, uh, a special t-shirt or a special badge for volunteers or whatever. So uh, moving on to our first story, there's uh, some breaking news, I guess, yesterday on a new zero day in Microsoft Word that's exploited through opening up a malicious RTF or rich text file inside of um, Microsoft Word. Is there any patches? Like what, what are folks supposed to do? I mean, I, I don't really get RTS very often, so I'm not sure if I should panic. Well, it sounds as though you should panic because there's a zero day, which is called a zero day because you've had zero days to apply the patches because they're not out yet. So there's no full fix, but there are plenty of workarounds. Uh, the only known in the wild attack at the moment, as you say, relies on tripping up Word by using an RTF file. So if you rarely or never deal with RTFs, Microsoft has a fix it. All you have to do is go to their website, press a button, it sets an entry in the registry that tells Word, ignore RTFs, pretend you don't know how to handle them, and basically that solves the problem for the time being. But when the patch comes out, please be sure to apply it promptly, because this is a zero day. It means, unfortunately, the bad guys are ahead. Yeah, it looks like the the labs haven't really seen it being exploited by common garden variety criminals out there. It really is a, um, a targeted attack at this point that it's been seen in. So hopefully that'll remain the case for the time Microsoft needs in order to issue a fix. And my understanding is you can just save the file to disk if you really need to read it and load it with good old WordPad. And WordPad, as I understand it, is not affected by this bug because WordPad, of course, does not depend on any of Word's components. Yeah, that's certainly what uh, I would do with RTFs. It's not a bad practice anyway. There's a, a smaller attack surface, I imagine, in WordPad being a, a smaller bundled Windows app as opposed to the entire Office suite. There is one other thing that Microsoft, bless their hearts, recommended. They actually said, you know what, if you use Outlook, you could consider going back to plain old text email. And I thought, wouldn't that be great? How much simpler life would be if we didn't have fancy HTML singing and dancing in every email, putting us at more risk than strictly we need to be in. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. How, how would I, if I had plain text email, I wouldn't be able to choose a wallpaper, though, for my email, right? Or stationary, I think they call it. Yes. <laughs> Bless them for suggesting it. <laughs> so some interesting things came up in the comments section on an article that John Zorabedian wrote this week uh, on, on Mac tips on how to stay secure suggesting that some of Apple's more questionable practices in security might somehow be an advantage. Someone came onto Naked Security saying, you and I both know that the reason that Macs don't need monthly updates like Microsoft is many months there wouldn't be a need for any updates because, you know, Macs are just less vulnerable. That got me to go and count the number of security fixes in 
OS 10.9.2 since two months before 10.9.1 had come out. And there were approximately 30 security fixes, approximately half of which were remote code execution. So the chance that there would be a whole month to go by without Apple having something to put out seems vanishingly small to me. Well, it's very similar to the, the Linux security situation, and the, and the Linux people have a very similar opinion to a lot of Mac folks on the, you know, Windows is more vulnerable, and I guess the three of them all take very different approaches. I mean, if you look at a Linux distro, you've got things like OpenSSL and Cups and, you know, all these different, you know, LibTIFF and all these different libraries and all these things being developed by completely independent groups of people volunteering. And those same components make up uh, a lot of the body of OS X. And, and, you know, that introduces the same risk that Linux folks have, which is, like you said, I mean, lots and lots of patches over short windows of time. I use Linux on a lot of my computers, and I kind of like the fact that I get updates every day. But Apple's taken more of a, let's batch them up into release numbers. And by doing that, they're extending the period of time that you're vulnerable. I mean, you, you wrote about the sudo bug. How long was that out there before they got around to fixing it, even though it was known publicly? Oh, it was, I think, at least six months, Chester. And then suddenly it did get fixed. On other platforms that use sudo, uh, it was fixed within a few days. And that was a fairly critical bug because it meant that if you could change the date and time, then you could basically get root. And the irony is that it was, on, it was only very recently that the fact that even a non privileged user on the Mac could change the date and time got fixed. So yes, I think that if Apple got onto a Patch Tuesday train line regimen, at least it puts a bit of pressure on Apple to make sure that they don't batch things up for six to nine months and then release them all in a giant lump when you least expect it. Precisely. And, and I, you know, the lack of schedule also makes it hard to coordinate and plan things for IT professionals. You know, some people think that uh, you should be able to just react on a moment's notice, uh, but it's tough to coordinate managing hundreds, if not thousands of computers. And, and a lot of organizations actually are facing that with their Macs now. It's no longer just the four guys in the marketing department who do graphic design that have a MacBook. The adoption in the business place has, has grown a lot, and, and managing lots of computers always adds more complexity, and, and having a schedule can help. So in other news, there was some confusion this week uh, for some, some sort of enhancements to security that Google announced related to their email services. Uh, they're going to be offering uh, HTTPS only now, basically. You, you used to be able to downgrade to HTTP if you chose to. Google's now kind of enforcing that everyone connecting to their Gmail services will use a, a secure connection. And uh, additionally, that they're going to be using uh, encrypted transport inside of Google. So when your mail is moving between Google services inside of their own network, they're going to protect it uh, seemingly in response to the allegations that, you know, NSA may have breached their network and other people's networks on the inside in order to snoop on people's communications. I got the impression from a lot of stories I read on the web that people seem to think somehow this is like actually magically protecting their mail. Now, I don't want to say anything bad about it because I think it's a, it's a good thing that more encryption while messages are in transit is being utilized, but it doesn't magically protect the contents of your mail, does it? No, they're still going to be reading your email, extracting keywords, feeding you ads on the basis of that. They're still going to be looking at your email so they can make an inspired guess as to whether it's spam and put in a junk folder for your own protection. So don't get the idea that this has turned Google's Gmail into some kind of 
silent circle. Google is still going to be able to look inside your email. Uh, if there's a court order, of course, they'll still have to hand over the stuff to the relevant authorities. But what it does mean is that when your data is moving around, there is less chance that somebody who happens to be on the network is going to be able to look at it. Yeah, it seems to be that they're they're largely trying to make sure that wherever things can be secure, they're doing their best to secure it. It's good to point out nice things uh, for once about some of these companies. I mean, there's always a story in the news about bad things happening. And I kind of, you know, was thinking about this related to this other story, right? There was some news that Microsoft was reading a blogger's email and there was a bit of an outcry over, you know, how dare they look into, I don't remember, was it Hotmail or Outlook.com or which particular Microsoft mail service. Well, they're the same thing, aren't they? The timing of this was when it was still branded Hotmail. It's what's now Outlook.com. But yes, it turns out, my understanding is this guy was an employee. I don't know whether he'd recently left. Uh, Microsoft felt that he was... uh, selling the company secrets, as it were, by giving them away to some blogger in France or something. So as allowed in the terms and conditions of Hotmail, they had a look at some of his messages, found out that he did indeed appear to be a naughty boy, confronted him, and he fessed up. So all's well that ends well, except that people did say, what? They looked at his email. I was pleasantly surprised at Microsoft's response that they they sort of they didn't just go well we're allowed to do it so that's that they sort of said well we were allowed to do it and you know we're comfortable that we did it but yet we're a little bit uncomfortable with doing it exactly that way again so we're going to change our approach um but i think it's a great reminder that when you use a cloud service and you're uploading stuff to it that is not encrypted you shouldn't be surprised that the stuff is available or accessible to that provider even if it's in the the tiny part of the small print, if it says they can look at it, then they can look at it. If you object to that, then you either need to persuade your congressman or your MP to change the law so they can't have that in their T's and C's anymore, or you need to choose a different service. It really is as simple as that. Or, of course, encrypt before you upload the stuff in the first place. I think we should point out that um, all the other major, I shouldn't say all, but most of the other major email providers out there all came out and said the same thing, that their terms and conditions allow them to read your email and that they can do that if they wish as well. I mean, I I know I saw Yahoo and Gmail and some others uh, saying that, which I also found surprising because it's not a very popular thing to say, but it is the truth. You know, I had some good conversations at B-Sides about uh, these uh, click-through EULAs and, and privacy statements and terms of use and acceptable use policies, or whatever you want to call them. You know, people complain about them and, oh, I don't ever read that. Who's ever going to read that? When you ask people, though, what's the alternative, right? Uh, you know, you need uh, some sort of a contractual agreement if you're going to provide somebody with a service. Uh, they're giving you something for free. They're trying to protect themselves often by many of the terms and conditions that are in those policies. And, uh, you know, there's no magic solution to this problem, right? Uh, you, you need to understand your rights and you need to understand your responsibilities when you take on a free service. And it really is up to you to know those things. And free may mean, as we've said many times with a service like Facebook, may mean that you're not the customer. You're, if you like, an unwaged employee who's paid in kind. Let's face it, if you use Facebook, if you use Outlook.com, if you use Gmail, if you use a free blogging site, in terms of things like bandwidth and functionality, you do actually get quite a lot. 
in return for the fact that these companies are allowed to look at your mail or your content and try and sell you something that you might or might not be interested in. That's how it works. And if you don't like it, uh, I guess you could always set up your own mail server. There are risks and complexities in doing that, but it's not unspeakably hard. No, I, I certainly, uh, as you know, uh, run my own service for myself and my family and friends. So there, there was some controversy this week uh, as well. I guess Facebook is buying WhatsApp and there was a bit of a privacy kerfuffle. For a mere $19,000 million. A snippet twice the price. Yeah, hit quite the bargain for a few text messages. But the, um, there was some controversy about whether privacy was going to suffer uh, now that Facebook is in control of WhatsApp. And I was a little puzzled myself. I remember writing an article about how WhatsApp had run afoul of privacy law in both the Netherlands and in Canada, and you know that they didn't really exactly have a sterling track record. And confusingly to myself, I even thought for a minute, wow, you know, Facebook hasn't done so bad the last 18 months. I can't remember the last time that they unchecked a checkbox and made you go back in and recheck it again. So maybe privacy could improve, huh? Yes, and the other thing about WhatsApp is that they have made more than one cryptographic blunder in recent memory. But what was surprising is that the reaction to this concern that Facebook would start mining WhatsApp messages, which was you know the whole idea that WhatsApp wasn't going to allow that, provoked a comment from the company's CEO that said, respect for privacy is coded into our DNA. I thought that was a rather strange thing to say, given, as you said and wrote, they had all this privacy problem with Canada and the Netherlands a couple of years ago, um, that they haven't actually been very cautious in the way that they've protected your messages in transit. So, as you say, maybe things will get better. Uh, but one thing that seems certain, they'll be different. Well, and it makes me think about privacy policies again and the fact that uh, it's one thing to have a policy, but it's another thing to be able to actually act on it. And we've seen that with Snapchat. We've seen that with WhatsApp. Even the Starbucks app problem a few months ago with it storing people's credit cards in plain text. And of course, we saw that in that study that came out on mobile banking apps, didn't we? Yeah. Where this is the app that the bank has said to you, hey, guys, you should use this because it's the one we endorse. And when you interact with us, then you'll be really secure. And uh, some 40% of them did not even bother to check TLS certificates. So if you man in the middle the app, it would be completely invisible. So, you know, I, I'm sticking with my browser and my, my traditional methods of communicating with my friends. Uh, and on that note, I will conclude Software Security Chat Chat 140. As always, for the latest security news, you can get the best version of it from nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And all of our podcasts are available at soundcloud.com slash And until next time, stay secure.